so I'm here with Costa Scoliaris. Yeah, I hope I didn't butcher that. But uh, Costa, thanks for joining us. Um, Costa is a coach from South Africa. Uh, again, love to hear some of your experiences. So if you could tell us about yourself and what his experiences have been uh, in your journey is maybe as playing as well, but you know what you've done for coaching as well, it'd be awesome. All right, so thanks so much, Mitch. I really appreciate this. Um, uh, basically, just to give you some insights, I, I'm a young coach. I'm 29 years old now, 30 this year. I've been coaching since about 23 years old. I never had the playing career that uh, most people had that are ex-professionals that gone into coaching. I have gone straight into the coaching scene. I've played... Um, on an amateur level football, soccer football. Um, I chose the, 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 the education route um, very much so. I studied a degree and I played more than one sport. I mean, I've got a background in basketball, in, in soccer as well. And what I then ended up doing while I was spending time in London was I, I made a decision to follow my heart, which was to coach. And um, I'm very much about building people up. It came from a good place. I really uh, followed the game from a, a tactical perspective as well. And I put the two together and I, I did my initial courses in London. I got my entry-level courses, my youth levels, my, my youth modules, um, and got my FA Level 1 and came to South Africa, started working um, on an on a amateur level. I got my C license in South Africa. It's SAFA C, South African Federation C license. And I was working, eventually I broke into Ajax, uh, Cape Town. Uh, Ajax is half owned by, 51% owned by Ajax Amsterdam. Uh, they had a project to build a f footprint in South Africa. And I got in completely on an on a, um, intern level, really. And... Um, it's the only way really to build up from my experience that I had um, where you kind of get in, you put your foot in the door and you prove yourself. So I did that working in a club that is very much South, South African, but it plays in the red and white strip. They, they send down the head of youth is a Dutch, uh, uh, follows Dutch, uh, is someone who's Dutch, who's got the philosophy. Um, Sometimes we have a coach from Netherlands. Sometimes he's a, it's a local guy. And we do our best to produce players for the European scene. Um, I now am currently, I spent six years there in the youth academy, all ages. And I've just broken into the senior scene. I'm, co I'm the head coach of a third division team, uh, G50 United, and um, working now with seniors. Um, that was an exciting step for me. I've always wanted to go into a senior competitive space, but I felt I had done everything I could at, at that academy level. I got to see a lot that I could take into um, uh, a semi-professional level, which it is at the moment. And, of, and, I, and together while coaching at Ajax, which was part-time after school, I was also running my own private uh, football academy. And uh, also the, the, the brand is Total Football Academy, which is completely the same philosophy. I really believe in 
uh, developing a player like um, with that philosophy. So that's that's the gist of, of my background, and I've and I've had to learn my way to where I am now. Awesome. So, as you were talking about philosophy, um, one of our coaches, uh, Jeff, he asked, um, you know, what is the main focus of the philosophy that you'd experienced with IX Cape Town? Like, was it, um, was it more individual over group? So, um, just to give you some context, I, I came, I fell in love with the game and just to give you, because it's my perspective, I fell in love with the game because of Mourinho, honestly speaking. And now I got the privilege of learning this Ajax attacking philosophy. So I have personally never forgotten a lot of what I learned from observing a, a tactical defense minded coach, uh, in, in many respects. But you've also got to follow a brand uh, and their philosophy. And the mission statement really is attractive football, um, uh, taking the game by the horns, and really it's about, it's about controlling the game. So the primary thing you're going to have to do in a club like this is find technically gifted players. That is the step one. You can't do much um, if you don't have that. Um, so we very much have to do that. Are we behind Ajax Amsterdam? By a long way, but I really do know what I, I feel. I know exactly where, where it, you, you can't apply Dutch philosophy exactly how it is there in South Africa and where you can completely um, fill gaps because we're in, a, we're in a third world space where uh, internet is slow and, and technology is a bit behind. So what tends to happen is a lot of the stuff is what 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 uh, makes you fall back uh, backwards. So there's a lot of things and systems you can put in place that can improve your whole setup. Um, so we do our best to follow the exact philosophy of Ajax Amsterdam, but there are realities that that um, are different. To give you also an important point, our club here is not the equivalent of Ajax Amsterdam. There, we would be. We are like the Southampton of our league. We're producing a lot of talent, but we're not the wealthiest. Sure. So that sure. that that was um, that's the way you play your playing field, if I can call yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's their um, job really is to feed, uh, obviously, creating opportunities for players into the professional. Uh, so I'm not sure if I did answer. Which, um, uh, which was what's the key aspect of the Dutch philosophy I'm implementing? Yeah, so when I was, um, you know, was it um, was ball mastery a big focus? Uh, I, I, another thing I was going to ask uh, you is if I, if I break it down with you. I've worked under three heads of youth, and uh, the first one was a Dutch, very much an administrative head of youth, and I. With him, we followed a philosophy of uh, periodizing our, uh, we all know the, the, I hope we all know the, have you heard of uh, Verheyen, um, who does his yes. six-week yes. title? Yes. Okay, so we, we, I think that's a standard across most football, but um, what we also did is, uh, is a tactical and technical um, uh, periodization, which every head of youth does his own thing. So 
under the first one, we would do uh, two weeks of one type of aspect of the game, the possession, two weeks of transition. Um, I worked under Stanley Menzo, who was our head of youth at one point, uh, who, who's an ex-pro. He played under Cruyff. He was the goalkeeper for uh, Netherlands and Ajax before Van der took over. Got a lot, I learned from him a lot, but what he liked to do was in our four sessions in the week, um, he would work on each aspect of the game for the youth at least. Not This is not senior. So it would be uh, possession, defense, transition, transition, or match prep here. Yeah. So there was always all the aspects and that that's everyone has their own philosophy. As long as you cover the content, you won't go wrong. So that is what I felt wasn't a necessary thing. I like that one the most. Some guys like to do one week of something, one week of something, because they're kids, so they want to repeat. Um, it depends on the age group. And, of course, when you get to under 16 and 18, you're, you're trying to win because in at least in South African terms, because I know in your draft system it can be different, but in South African terms, which is very much like European football, you've got to... Uh, get the players in at 18 years old playing. So to do that, you've got to teach them to win. So we have that balance. Um, and at the same time, you won't always get it right. Um, so that's that's technical ability. Uh, ball mastery is worked within from a young age. But if you look at the success rate from an under 12 to the first team, you it's it's not the only thing that will yeah. get you uh, the there's a lot more factors to it, but they need to be technically gifted to do what we do. So, um, with Ajax Cape Town, do they have younger teams as well? What's the earliest they start? So, ages that worked um, was under, it's under 12 upwards. And the only reason why they don't go younger, because ideally between the ages of 8 and 12 is where your your, your skills develop the most in, 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 a, in a child's body. Um, that's ideal, but uh, they do a first touch program in the under 11 year, which is basically a once a week thing to introduce 100 kids where they're going to select the squad of 18 in under 12. Um, ideally, you'd like to have a pyramid where you keep players because you've got no guarantees and then they filter higher and higher. Sure. Um, but you can't do that with the budgets we work with. So it's an under 12 team, 13, and it used to be every age. It's now. 12, 14, 16, 18. I don't think it's right because at that critical 13, 14, the ages and the sizes change, but they've yeah. done that now. Um, I think it's a step backwards. Um, but what, what I had done is I'd worked from an under 17 assistant role when I'd started. I'd coached under 13 head coach. I've worked with under 18s and 19s and reserves. And in my year of under 13, what we implemented, because we worked three times a week, our middle session uh, was purely a ball mastery session. So what we would do is um, either purely ball mastery, but it was, a, it was a change of surface session. So what we would do is we'd go to the, the parking lot outside, put our trainers on and play football with trainers and okay. work out a session. Uh, we would go to the beach in the summer months and play barefoot. Because there's a belief, uh, a belief of um, it's the Brazilians do it really. It's the, it's that futsal. It's the it's the yeah. beach football. It's it's learning different skills. I think even in basketball, it's a skill development thing. They, you take a free throw by taking a step forward. 
you do want to take a step back and you're, you're learning to adapt your body rather than one thing over and over. So you're teaching them to manipulate different surfaces, different balls. We did that in the 12, 13 years. As they get older, you implement more tactically. That's yeah. essentially what yeah. we would do. Awesome. So how, um, now, yeah, maybe I'm ignorant, but Cape Town versus the rest of South Africa, um, how would they, how would you treat the younger ages? So, you, you know, you, U9 to U12, um, if, because there are multiple big clubs as well, right, around South Africa that, yeah. Perhaps they all what do the same thing. Do you mean what do you mean by treat them? So you do they all start at U twelve or the professional clubs with their youth teams? So there's a big push. We're a little bit behind. Um, our league, the Premier Soccer League here, the, the Premier League, um, is a little bit like the Premier League in England in that the vision isn't there with with the first team, the way that Germans have it down, the way that the Dutch have it down. So what tends to happen is there's a, <laughs> our governing body that is voted into the, uh, to run the PSL, which overlooks the top two divisions, PSL and national first division is run by the chairmans of the clubs. Okay. which is the worst possible thing you can do because no one's watching out for the interest of the league. They're watching out of the interest of their own club when it yeah. comes to it. Now you can imagine now with the COVID-19, the team that's bottom of the log, there's a team that's in relegation zone who's on the board. You think they want to pass a rule that they get dropped. So that, that aspect of it and SAFA, the chairman of SAFA and the chairman of our PSL are not, uh, working smoothly. It's a bit like the FA and, and Premier League. They've got their own interests. So um, you try, they try, they, the unfortunate thing is right now it hasn't completely gone. Let's focus on a, on a, on a, an ultimate goal to help South African football. There was a drive with the South African World Cup here. Um, so what's ended up happening is the ideal situation is that the league should have every club investing in an academy from under 12 to up to the, the first team. They don't have that. There's probably four clubs that do that. Ajax, Ajax basically feeds the entire country's clubs. It's unbelievable. Uh, the top five clubs uh, uh, in the country, um, Orlando Pirates, Kaiser Chiefs, Sundowns, these big brands, are all buying Ajax players. It's essentially like Southampton filling up the top four teams in the Premier League. It's, it's, it's actually unbelievable. Every team has um, full, filled with it. And the only reason why Ajax can't hold on to them is because they don't have a, um, a billionaire owner who's going to keep the players. And essentially, our philosophy is once we have a superstar, he needs to first be offered to Ajax Amsterdam. If they don't want him, he moves on to any other option. So that's we're essentially a feeder club for Ajax Amsterdam. And it's very difficult because you're also trying to stay in the league and not get relegated um, while you're giving up your best players. So in that respect, our, our country's football is lacking the structures across all. They're, they're, they're sucking from two clubs, essentially. And um, there's lack of the draw players that are popping up. So tactically, our players are not quite there. 
and they don't have structured development. And we don't have, haven't got fully enforced rules where your coaches must be UEFA qualified or CAF qualified. Um, they don't do that. So that is where I say a lot of the, the, the places are a little bit behind. And it's a pity because we probably have as skillful as Brazilian players. Um, yeah. we, we go to Europe with our players and we're more skillful than them. Um, but that structure is missing. Yeah. Across then, all the teams. Sure. So it's brilliant. I mean, I'm picking so many questions going around in my head now after you yeah. said that. So um, well, you just talked about the skill element. Um, do your kids play a lot outside of training, outside of practice? So in general, South African kids would. Um, especially the ones that live in townships, they will go outside and play football on the streets. It's quite a common thing I used to say with my mentor coach, um, uh, the, the coach that I learned from. Um, he, we used to talk about how uh, the kids from townships, and, and just to give you context, there's a huge social, I really can get into this, but it's, it's, uh, and it's a relevant topic, but I, I will keep it, I'll keep it entry level because it can be a whole topic on its own. But there's a huge social element because of our past history of apartheid. So there's still segregation. And um, not that anyone has a problem with going into each other's areas and spaces, but it has an impact on your social, uh, um, where you come from, your, your surroundings. So kids from townships, which are predominantly a black area, has its own cultural Thing around football, Cape Town in particular has a lot of kids that are a coloured background, which is a it's a it's its own race, which is defined in South Africa. You've got, and and predominantly because of apartheid, everyone is segregated in Cape Town in particular. In Johannesburg, it's a different um, uh, uh, dynamic, and there's different tribes within the African cultures. Um, so what you're essentially doing with with um, with the, the, the development, the kids are coming to a club like Ajax and some of them have been brought up playing on the streets. They're very good passing, but they've never kicked the ball uh, at goals properly because they, 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 they're on the side of a highway, some of these kids. Um, other kids come from a bit privileged and they've got other skills. It's, it's, and then you've got to marry the whole cultural aspect of it. And... In Ajax, there's a fear factor because you can get released. But in other in other clubs, what ends up happening is this: there's a culture within the townships of football. There's a culture within a certain area, a certain area, and and that's our our, our football at the moment. There's a, a lot of multicultural uh, football cultures. Yeah. And then, so the um, your youth levels, how does that uh, what leagues do they play in? Like, do, do Ajax just play the local, like they're a youth academy, do they just play like the local? Um... So, so um, I know that, I know your guys' DA system because I did a, a, a visit recently to Los Angeles and San Diego and I got the... It's uh, gone the now, wait, wait. It's gone they, what? The, the DA system, they cut it this year. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, I ended up in, in the States at this time of my life. I would have been there, possibly. Um, so, interesting. But I had met the clubs that side. And uh, 
I'd got finally navigated this whole mess of NSL. I think what I don't know what they call it, um, um, and and DA and all these leagues. It's not. It's it's um, what they've done is this LFAs, local AFAs, and it's regional. And what they'll do is SAFA will run regional LFAs, and the rules within the LFA is you have to have once uh, two senior teams, uh, and this LFA has these age groups. You can choose to be in it, and you break into the league. Um, so those clubs have been set up. Um, most of the clubs, it's an affordable game. Um, unless you're in the nice side of town, you're going to pay uh, 2,000 rand is what, $100, to $100 a year, $200 a year. It's nothing, not in comparison to America. Um, in most clubs, it's very affordable. And many of these uh, uh, um, rural areas, or not even rural, but townships, they won't charge their kids. There's people that want to make a difference in the areas. So they'll host, they'll coach. Um, so this, they will enter leagues, LFAs, and there'll be up to 10 teams, as little as eight teams in the league. And there'll probably be three divisions in each league. So it's, a, it's the uh, Super League, Premier League and the first division. They usually do it like that. Um, the seniors can go up to four divisions, amateur, um, and above amateur, there will be four, two semi-pro and the two pro. So the two semi-pro are the, are the are run by SAFA. The top two are run by the Premier Soccer League. Those are full-time. These are, these are semi-professional. So, so that's our structure for that. So the, the youth level, they, do they have to travel much? It's all within our provinces. So our provinces are, you won't travel more than 30 minutes. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> ever. It's very different. And, and you've got to really understand the, 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 the environment we're in here. There's not a big middle class. It's rich and poor. That's our world we're in. So... Yeah. You can't expect people need buses to get. Uh, if, if you if you have your own transport, uh, I might be able to ask my dad to take me to a game, but not every kid has that luxury. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of people who are making a livelihood for many dependents, and there's no money to just luxuries like I'm going to drive you to your game this weekend. You're missing this game. Sorry, and. Because of that, whoever's organizing the, the, these sports has to also organize transport, which is one of the most expensive things to arrange. So we'll never do lots of traveling. Uh, Ajax plays, used to play within these leagues um, and uh, could travel the country. And, and we'd send our under-19s to Amsterdam every year. And there was always something happening. But because they're getting a budget from the Premier Soccer League, there's millions involved. Um, They've had to create their own league and in just to continue with what you asked, they created their own league called the High Performance League. Uh, with, in the space of the last five years, there's now another... Ajax is winning the NFD. They got relegated for some controversy a few, uh, three years ago. Some player and they deducted points. They're now about to win the NFD. There are another two clubs in... Cape Town that are in the Premier League. There's going to be three. And these clubs 
plus another two are, have created a high performance league because they have the funds to really run things properly. Mm-hmm. So they've kind of created their own bubble. The other clubs don't really like it, but it's kind of what you have to do in this environment because no one else is doing it for you. Mm-hmm. So that's the environment we in in Cape Town at least. Amazing. And, 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 and Mitch, rural areas are the wild, wild west. It's really just everything is run badly in some places. So we don't have the consistency as well in, in our environment. Okay. Um, do you know what the formats are of playing in South Africa? Like, do, do, you, do they start with... Um, you know, your small-sided age groups, like here in the U.S., it goes 4v4, 7v7, 9v9, 11v11. They're moving towards this. But at the moment, the law, when I was working at Ajax uh, for the six years, from, un, from under, it's crazy, from under nine, I think it's, it's 11v11. They really are in the dinosaur stage. Wow. But they're now moving towards creating it small-sided i with my private academy which is run more like what uh um united states academies are run like um private this they 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 pay to play what we've done in our environment is we decided to create um work with private clubs that are that are doing 5v5 up to a certain age eight years old then you, you grow 7v7, 9v9, and 11v11. Um, we were about to launch it this year, and then this whole mess happened. So that was on a private level. Um, but the, the, the clubs that are run out there, they're run by volunteers and by committees, and that's it's so hard because of the politics in that environment as well to change things. Um, but the, the, the pro clubs can, can do it in their private capacities. The pro clubs like Ajax can do it and call the shots, which is what they're doing. Yeah. Um, one thing you said about earlier was how you, um, you you mentioned how you coached the under 19s with like Ajax Cape Town, and then you'd also mentioned how um, Ajax Cape Town would players were are mostly supplying a lot of the. Um, uh, Premier League there, or another clubs, was that correct? Yes, do you want me to just uh, explain that a bit more? Yeah, well, I was just going to say, like, did you have much experience with players then that went on to play professionally, you know, now that you're playing? Uh, yes, I did. it's actually a really great time now. Um, so just to give you context, in my, when I was 23, 24, I was assisting my mentor. My mentor was... A UEFA qualified coach. He was an instructor. I learned everything from him. I was his assistant at under 17. I got thrust into the deep end and I led them in uh, in tournaments uh, when he wasn't available. I was lucky to win that national tournament. Um, uh, lucky I worked for that, but I also I really got guidance and I and I and I got and that helped me cement myself in the club. Um, a lot of those players now I'm fortunate to see have made it because they take the next steps. Uh, but just to give you a story, and this is really the thing that gives me the most goosebumps. <laughs> in that time, we were in a, in a regional where your different LFAs now, your, your winning teams play each other across LFAs. 
And we were in one area where there was a township team um, that was really good team. And it was in the quarterfinals. And me and the coach were walking, Duncan, were walking. And we just happened to be watching one game. And we just see that center back and that attacking mid standing up. Now, this, this is really the sphere we're in. There isn't tracking. It's not America. It's not Europe. There isn't tracking like there is here. Uh, the scouting systems on nowhere. So it came down to seeing these two kids, having to talk to their coach after the game. They want the players to progress, so they're more than happy to push them. That's their goal. I asked, can that stri- midfielder play as a striker? We need a nine. And can we see the center back? The next round of the semis and the finals were happening at our grounds. They came, that striker came and scored, assisted, did everything we wanted to see. The other boy hadn't showed up. That's the world we're in. Just didn't show up that day. That boy right now has a contract with IX Amsterdam earning more than you and me right now. And that was all because he just, he performed in, in the tournament I won. It was top scorer. In Amsterdam's tournament, he became top goal scorer out of two. The following year, top goal scorer, scoring against Real Madrid, scoring against this team. And Ajax has him now. Uh, I don't know if they're going to keep him or not, but this boy is, is flying there. And that's the kind of stories that we get to look back and, 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 and they, you can never claim the player, but, but yeah. you see that progress from nothing, absolutely nothing. That is, that is actually a really cool story. Just it just happened to be luck that you'd seen him playing. Then is that right? That as well. If you believe in a law of attraction, it can be that. But this boy was very deserving, and his other teammate that made it. So, and it's usually the boys that have down to earth uh, and hardworking uh, um, approach that really make it. The big heads yeah. end up falling out by the wayside always. And are you able to share with us what that player's name is? Uh, Leo Tetani, Leo Tetani is playing in the reserve team of Ajax under Hatinger now. Uh, and the other boy, Dean Solomons, uh, he was already at the club from under 15. Dean Solomons also made it there. Um, I, the one special story as well that I worked with was a, an under 13 boy. He had a British passport. Um, he, Daniel Jordan, was playing for me. He is your Roy Keane style, he'll get stuck in a tackle and he can play. Uh, one of the key things I had to work on him was to play quicker. As a holding midfielder, he needs to move that ball quickly and control the game. And his family relocated to the Netherlands and they were doing their best to get him a trial and set him up. And now he's, he's in, in Amsterdam, but he's got a passport to go there. It, you can't move him unless he has the passport. Mm-hmm. So he was able to move there and he's, he's an under 14 now at Ajax Amsterdam. Um, cool. which is great. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So we have I mean, a few of these stories. Yeah, yeah, I bet. I mean, there's been so many. I was actually, before we got on the call, I was looking through lists of names that that I've seen. And, you know, I see um, one of the main names that stands out that's made that trip is uh, Stephen Pienaar, right? What a, I was waiting what for a, it, yeah. What a career he had. So that's awesome. Um Okay, and then another question for one of my coaches, um, Coach Matt. He's asked, how did the 2010 World Cup change 
South Africa? Did it have much effect after that? Interestingly, uh, Mitch, I because there's nothing showing on television sports right now, they were just showing now on television this whole recap on the World Cup. And um, I got goosebumps again because so many people got behind this. The, the thing is, very much like Brazil, the money probably shouldn't have been spent on stadiums. Uh, they, the, our Cape Town Stadium is the third most expensive stadium in the world, I think. I don't know if Brazil's one's got more expensive, but uh, the amount of corruption that goes on behind that is just, uh, it's not even a question. But um, what it has done, I think, over a 10-year span is the tourism was just crazy. There's just tourists coming. Um, and the football did improve in the sense that people found an interest. People that were following rugby on our watching football, uh, people got more invested in local football. Um, so it definitely had an impact. It got people turning their heads to our local players because we didn't have that. Um, yeah. I'm sure in the States you can, uh, when I was there, it's, it's crazy actually. There was, I was at the LAFC when they won, when they won the league uh, the last day and the, they, 40,000 people and it's the fifth watch sport. Um, and I'm going, that's a lot of people. And it's almost like that where there's, there's interest, but everyone's watching this big sport. Or So it, it did definitely turned heads and it got people interested. And I'm actually excited for this US because the World Cup coming there is going to make make it a bigger sport. That's actually why I was excited to check that out, that, that scene out. Um, it definitely makes an impact. Um, and the investment grows. People want to be in the space. The, 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 the club owners want to be there because it lifts their whole profile. Um, it really does make that positive impact. Yeah, that's awesome. And because is football or soccer, um, is it the main sport or rugby is before that, right? Numbers-wise, it's, it's uh, definitely soccer. Okay. Um, uh, Numbers-wise, just because our nation is a soccer-loving nation, um, rugby—it's I don't know what's happening, but it's it's dwindling in 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 fan support. It took a while, but you you tend to have a different market of people watching rugby. Um, it's your financial firms that are advertising there, um, not you know. It's a completely different market, um, but South Africa is definitely the people's sport here, and. Um, Unfortunately, because of our our economic situation in our country, which has never really been built up to a point where it's thriving uh, for every person, uh, the 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 stadiums aren't always full. Because here's an interesting uh, aspect to the game: is that a supporter has to go watch a game, and it's not just buying a ticket; it's taking your two kids, buying them food for dinner. Um, and watching the game and traveling. That cost is too much for our, our people. So our fan base is not quite where it could be, only for big games. Yeah. So that's the unfortunate thing on the investment side of the game. Yeah. Hey, I've, I've got... Um, actually, I mean, I've got another personal question that I'd like to ask is uh, how the women's game is there. Obviously, the U.S. is for women's soccer is the biggest in the world, right? Um, yeah. And 
and even even from my home country in England is starting to, it's only really recently starting to grow successfully um, is that something this people are starting to put more resources in uh, slow and steady but honestly Mitch it's not there yet um, it's not there um, but there are a lot more uh, the 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 local clubs are all playing. There's a women's team in all the local clubs. Most, most, a lot of them at least. Our, our women's national team did very well recently in, in a World Cup, in the one that the, the US won. Um, yeah. We, we were there, I believe. Uh, yeah, we were. Um, and they did, they did well. Um, they made the country proud and that put a lot more attention to it. What ended up happening, though, is half that squad ended up in top European clubs. Montpellier took one. Uh, I think a lot of French clubs, France is doing very well. A lot of French clubs took up our players. Um, and, you know, you've got a few agents who just have those contacts and they just send them because um, the players aren't waiting for the, the system to grow here. They're going to go to the top clubs. And the, so our women's national team, there's, there's something there. Our structures aren't there. Yeah. There's probably a very thin funnel that's that's creating players. Sure. Yeah. Do they have a, a, a like elite level league for women there or yeah, it's called the Sassel League. It's a, it's funded, um, but it's really not professional. it's not it's semi professional. Is it a national Honestly, league or regional? Uh, the, that is regional. So it's as high as our third division, or yeah, the one below on first division, the second division. Um, that's how it's run. Um, that's simply because of funding. Yeah, sure, sure. Okay, this has been such an awesome uh, chat with you, Costa. Thank you so much for coming on. I want one last question from you. Uh, if you had the power to change soccer or football in South Africa, what would you do? Oh, that's a great, actually, I really wanted to answer that one because you mentioned, you mentioned that to me before because it's so relevant to you. And when I spent some time in the U.S., there was a lot of criticism on your guys' um, ring-fence leagues. There's no relegation and it works for, for the franchise owners and the way they've set it up. If I can tell you, I would love that for our Premier Soccer League because the way we've structured our leagues is is bordering a little bit like uh, it's conflict of interest the way they run it um and i don't fully trust the first division club owners i'll be honest with you it's a it's a little bit of a, a funny space uh, in that respect it's really run by the chairman and the, the club owners um a club like ajax will thrive in a ring fence league where they don't have to worry about relegation and the i, I would love to see in this country you're forced to, to uh, uh, have an academy. So what I would say is every club has to have, uh, from under 12 to the first team, you, you have exactly what you guys have, is your one or two capital expenditure guys that you just spend whatever you want on those uh, star players. But we've got our, our team like a man, we've got a Man City in our league that has, is hoarding players and they loan whoever and they kill careers. Um, it's not good for football. Uh, there's, there's club owners 
I actually don't know what's going to happen now because of this coronavirus. You're going to end up with clubs that are going to possibly the owner's going to have to just get rid of this club because uh, their businesses are falling apart. But a ring fence league won't have to, you won't have to buy that guy you can't afford. You, you can choose to invest your money in that academy for the good of, of uh, balancing your books because you have to. The rules are there. You have to. And if you really want to win the league and fork out, you can do it. Um, but in our environment where it's not financially stable uh, in every aspect, um, that would be the first thing I'd do because you can invest. Priority is scouting and youth development. If every club did what Ajax Cape Town did, you can't sell your player to the top club. That player will choose to stay at you because there's already another four of those players in those teams. So in doing that, you're, all, it's essentially what's happening in the Bundesliga. All the teams have quality players within their space. And now the national team can choose the best performing one, not the only one that's available. And in doing that, your team is not going to compete with Ivory Coast, Ghana, and all the top teams that are, that are in Africa. That is honestly what I think would work. Um, ring fencing the league, franchising the clubs. Uh, funny enough, because there's a lot of American, um, everyone in the US is saying, no, let's go relegation. It would work for us. And it would allow us to invest our money correctly, I think. Yeah. And protect the clubs that are struggling in one year to keep doing what they're doing. There's no parachute uh, funding like they have in the Premier League. And as a result, this would protect those, those ones that have the funding, that have the money. Yeah. Awesome. Such yeah. awesome information, Costa. I learned a lot just listening to you. So thank you so much. Um, I really do appreciate that. Um, um, co coaches are going to love hearing some of this stuff when I think uh, so, some of the kids, so. I appreciate this, the, 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 the call, um, Mitch, and uh, I, I look forward to hearing more. I would actually like to hear more again, follow up with you and hear a little bit more when things get going again, because right now we're all at a standstill and um, see how it all progresses towards your guys' World Cup as well, because I know that's quite an exciting build-up for you guys. Yeah, perhaps we can have you out here for the World Cup, huh? Oh, you got somewhere to stay. Fun thing you can ever do. <laughs> yeah. All right, Costa, thank you so much. Take thank care. Thank you very much, Mitch. You too. Have a good night. Lovely cushion header. Major!